Amen. Thank you, Alex. Good song, good thought, good job. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have, when I speak on Wednesdays, uh, we've been going through the book of Colossians, uh, verse by verse. Uh, to me, uh, a variety of teaching and pre preaching methods through the, through the Bible uh, helps us all. Uh, sometimes I teach verse by verse, other times topic by topic. Um, I just want to make sure you're biblically literate enough to understand that when you hear someone say, and people do say this today, that if you're not preaching and teaching through the Bible verse by verse, you're not teaching the Word, understand and feel free to say, give me one example in the Bible where they preached and taught the Bible that way. Because there are zero. None. Now, I don't think that's a bad method to preach the Word, but when someone says you're not preaching the Word, if you're not verse by verse, that's wrong. Uh, that being said, uh, we're going verse by verse through Colossians because it is a good way to preach the Word. We've not gone far yet. We're still in chapter 1. The last time I taught uh, on a Wednesday, we used uh, some theological terms, standing in state, to uh, understand what Paul was teaching the uh, Colossian believers there, there are some things we learned that belong to us right now because we're believers in Christ, that is our standing, uh, and some of those things that belong to us in Christ we do not actually possess right now, that is our state, and we will not have them until we either go to heaven or Christ returns for us. If you remember, I likened it unto uh, someone who was born into a very wealthy family, whose family set up a $100 million trust fund for him that he could not reach or access until he was 25. So his standing when he's 20 is he's a multimillionaire. His state is that he does not yet possess everything that belongs to him, and that is very much like some of the aspects of what we have in Christ. We talked about four things that already belong to the Colossian believers and to us, uh, because they were in Christ, none of which are really fully in our possession. Uh, we talked about uh, already having victory over the power of darkness, about already being in the kingdom of Christ. We already possess redemption. We already have forgiveness of sins. And we encourage one another to balance standing in state. If sincere believers are too focused on their standing, they make too little effort to purify their life and serve faithfully now. If sincere believers are too focused on their uh, state, then the opposite occurs. Uh, we just encourage one another. You, you know what? Rest in who you are in Christ. But make sure that as we go through life, we're also striving to be more like the Savior. Uh, Paul is next going to move on from their standing to the preeminence of the Savior who gave them their standing. See, Paul is always looking to exalt the Lord Jesus, uh, but reinforcing who Jesus was in a special way uh, is important in this book. When we get in the later chapters of this book, Paul is going to deal with some of the false doctrine that was creeping in the church uh, there amongst these good uh, believers. Uh, who is Jesus of Nazareth? See, the answer to that question is, first directly linked to true salvation, 
Uh, Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. It's also directly linked with how we treat Jesus. See, because some have really never allowed themselves to grasp that Jesus is more than a meek, gentle, loving Savior, they are sometimes careless with how they prioritize Him. See, now on Sunday night, if you were here, that was a meat-of-the-word message. It was not easy to speak. was not easy to understand. Uh, tonight is bottom-shelf stuff. Uh, tonight's thought, though, even though it's bottom-shelf stuff, is foundational to why we make so much effort in our faith and why we make so much effort to prioritize Jesus Christ. Uh, if you would stand, if you're able to stand in honor of God's Word, the title of my thought is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to read the first two verses we read and covered last time, but I want to read them again so we remind ourselves of what the subject matter is for the verses we're going to cover uh, later tonight. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 13 says, Who hath translated us from the power of darkness, and hath who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So the subject matter to follow is the Son, from verse 13, we in the kingdom of his son, the subject matter is redemption through his blood. Who is the son? Who is his? Now is our text tonight. This is the subject for tonight. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. By Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Thank you. You might be seated. See, these verses are all linked to Verse 13 and 14, letting us know that the subject is the Son, S-O-N. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth who has already delivered us from the power of darkness? Who is the humble carpenter who died to redeem us? Who is the babe born in Bethlehem who was born to an angelic announcement from heaven? Notice first, number one, He is the image of the invisible God. The beginning of verse 15 says, who is the image of the invisible God. You see, God the Father has not visibly appeared on earth. He seems to be visible in some way in heaven. In Revelation 5-7, John saw the Lamb of God take the seven-sealed book from the hand of the Father seated on the throne. The Holy Spirit, uh, God the Spirit, He's also not visible on the earth. He is likened unto the wind, and we can see the effects of the wind, but we cannot see the wind itself. If you keep your hand there, go to John chapter 14. Jesus is going to make a statement about Himself there that no one but Jesus would dare to make. By the way, there are a lot of statements Jesus made no one else would dare to make. Amen. To men who had been with Him, uh, pretty much 24-7, 
for between three and three and a half years, men who had saw him early in the morning when he first got up, men who saw him at the end of the day when he was tired, men who saw him when he had been mistreated, men who saw him when he was lied about, men who saw him under circumstances of all sorts, both public and private. Jesus makes this statement in John 14, verse 8. Philip saith unto him, Lord, sheweth the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Here it is. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, shewest the Father? Could you imagine making a statement like that? If you've seen me, you've seen God. Listen, when they heard Jesus speak, they were listening to the words of God. Every word he spoke was a word of God. Well, when Jesus shed his blood in Acts 20, 28, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. Listen, what a privilege it would have been to be living in and around Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee in the days when Jesus walked the earth to see and hear the one who was the image of the invisible God. What a privilege you and I have tonight to call upon the Lord Jesus to save us and to have him as Savior and friend and Lord. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? He was the image of the invisible God, but he wasn't just that. Notice as he continues, and if you go back to our text in Colossians chapter 1, he continues in verse 15, there are seven descriptions, or nine depending on how you want to count them. Uh, you could uh, make a case for either one. I put it into seven. Notice he is secondly there, he's who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Uh, many, many years ago, I was down visiting a, a plant that uh, we were responsible for, and there was a young man there who was studying with the Jehovah Witnesses, and one of the things, you know, uh, and I was a relatively new Christian, I said, you know, Jesus is, is God, He's the Son of God, and he said no, and he took me to Colossians here and said He's the firstborn of every creature. And uh, I didn't really know that much at that particular time, uh, I come to learn that that is defined in verse 18. It says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. <laughs> See, firstborn isn't just the prominent and predominant one, uh, as that word is used sometimes in the Bible. Uh, here, in particular, He's the firstborn from the dead, the first one to die and come back in a resurrected body. What an incredible position to be in. Uh, that, you know, there are a lot of people who would like to tell us what that means there, but if we let the Bible interpret itself, it is pretty clearly, as we'll see in a moment, even further, Jesus is not a creature. He was not created. He was the Creator. Amen. See, to somebody who doesn't really want to acknowledge Jesus for who He is, you know, making some uh, random pull out of that uh, context may make sense, but that faulty interpretation uh, doesn't fit the next statement in verse 16. It says, for by Him were all things created. Uh, listen, He isn't a creature, He's the Creator. He's firstborn in the sense of prominence. He's firstborn in the sense of being the first to receive a glorified body. Listen, there were several people in the Old Testament and several people in the New Testament who died and were brought back to life again. 
But all of those who were resurrected, they just came back to inhabit their old body to one day die again. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He is the only one ever who was brought back from the dead in His glorified body, never to die again in any way. But what a privilege it would have been to those who were in and around Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee uh, to see the One who was the firstborn of every creature. What a privilege it is you and I have to call upon such a one to save us, to have such an one with us, and to be able to call Him not just our Savior, but our friend. Who was Jesus of Nazareth? He was the firstborn of every creature. But it isn't just that. Notice as Paul's description as moved by the Spirit continues thirdly as verse 16 begins, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power. Notice thirdly, He is the Creator of all things. Not some things, all things. And this statement is contrary to anyone who would say that Jesus was anything other than the Son of God, God the Son, the Creator clothed in flesh. We saw from John 14 what Jesus said about Himself. Keep your hand there in Colossians, but go back to John chapter 1. John, of course, was among those who were with Jesus for three to three and a half years. And notice what he says about Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Who is Jesus? He's the Creator. Amen. And if you have any doubt of who the Word is there in verse 1, it is clearly defined in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Creator of all things. You can go back to Colossians. He is the Creator of all Material things we can see, visible things. He is the creator of spiritual things we cannot see, invisible things. He created everything in heaven, including the golden city of God with the mansions for the faithful. He created the pure river of life, that water clear as crystal that flows from the throne of God. He created the golden street that runs through the great eternal city of God. He created the tree of life that lines the banks of that river and the jasper walls and the gates of pearl. He created it all. He created everything in heaven. He created everything that is on and in the earth including the land, the seas, mankind, and creatures of all sorts. He created the giant sequoia and the tiny amoeba. He created fish and birds and elephants and worms. He created the tiny atom. And He created the great blue whale. He is the Creator of all things. He created the unseen hierarchy of angels and devils here described as thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. He created the archangel Michael. He created the cherubim. He created the seraphim. He created angels of all sorts from the great messenger angel Gabriel 
who stands in the presence of God, to the angel of the waters in Revelation 16.5, to the angels that watch over every little child who behold the face of our Father which is in heaven. Jesus created them all, visible and invisible, things in heaven and things in earth. He is the Creator. He created the unseen laws of nature. Mathematics makes sense because He made it that way. Biology and chemistry and physics. He made all those laws to govern our world visible and invisible in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ created it all from nothing by the power of His own Word. What a privilege it was to be living in or around Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee in the days when Jesus of Nazareth walked the face of this earth to see the One who created all things. And what a privilege it is that you and I have as believers to call upon and trust such an one as this, to have Him as our Savior, to have Him as our Lord, to have Him as our friend. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He was and is a Creator of all things, but it wasn't just that. Notice as verse 16 wraps up. In the end of verse 16, it says all things were created by Him. And next, fourthly, for Him. See, all things were created for Jesus, not just by Jesus. You see, this statement, like the one that precedes it, is directly opposed to Jesus being a creature rather than the Creator. Listen, the uh, Mormons can say that he's the elder spirit brother of Lucifer, but that's a lie. The Jehovah Witnesses can say that he's a mighty God, but not the almighty God, but that's a lie. The uh, Islam can say that he's a great prophet, but not a greater prophet than Muhammad. But listen, that's a lie. He created all things, and all things were created for him. Now all of creation is designed for the glory of Christ and the good of mankind. In fact, it's interesting that all of creation obeys its Creator with the exception of us. Water behaves like water was designed. A tiger behaves like a tiger. A tree never decides to do anything but be the tree it was designed to be. Only man was created by God without those kinds of instincts, without that kind of program. And so only man with his fallen nature raises his tiny fist toward heaven at Jehovah God and says, I will not. But even so, all things were created by Him and for Him. And our world is perfectly designed for both man and creature. But it was more designed for Jesus than for us. It just so happens that he gets joy when his greatest creature, his greatest creation is fulfilled and happy. Everything was created by him and for him. What a privilege people had in those days living in and around Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee to be able to see and hear the one who created all things and all things were created for him. Years and years ago, they used to sing a song I Uh, I love that song. It always stirred my heart. Here's the words to it. From the dust of the earth, God created man. His breath made man a living soul. Then God so loved this world, He gave His only Son, and that's why I love Him so. For I was made in His likeness, created in His image. For I was born to serve the Lord. And I can't deny Him. I'll always walk beside Him. 
for I was born to serve the Lord. All things were created by Him. All things were created for Him. And when you and I fulfill our greatest purpose, it is finding what our Creator designed us to do, and to do that for Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? All things were created for Him. But it wasn't just that. Notice as verse 17 continues, continues verse fifthly, uh, notice it says Jesus was before things. Verse 17, and He is before all things. This is why in verse 18, He's referred to as the beginning. It says uh, He's the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, He's the beginning. He's the one who began everything as Creator. He's the first and was before all things. He was before all things. You see, Jesus was before all things on a timeline. Micah describes a babe born in Bethlehem as being, quote, from everlasting. He was before the pyramids of Egypt. He was before the first humans crossed the Bering Strait to North America. He was before Adam and Eve. He was before mankind chose to defy Jehovah in Eden. He was before all things. He is before all things in the timeline. He is before all things in importance. He's more important than air. He's more important than food. He's more important than water. He is before all things on the timeline and in importance. He is more important than any individual ever walked on our planet. He is more important than the laws of nature, though He designed them. He's more important than anything or anyone. He is and was before all things. Well, what a privilege they had in those days to be able to hear and see Jesus of Nazareth, to watch Him, to listen to Him, who was before all things. And what a privilege you and I have today to call upon and trust a Savior such as this and to be able to call Him friend. Who was this Jesus of Nazareth? He was and is before all things, but it wasn't just that notice sixthly in verse 17 it says he is before all things and by him all things consist keep your hand there go up in your bible to hebrews chapter 1 hebrews chapter 1 when we think of what makes up something we think about what it consists of what do brownies consist of what does wood consist of What does a rock consist of? We think of the ingredients of which something consists. We think of what holds those ingredients together. And by Him, all things consist. Notice what he says in Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, here it is, and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand, the majesty on high. Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of His power. By Him all things consist. Have you ever thought about the power contained in a single atom of an element on the periodic table? It's unimaginable. And that comes from Jesus. 
See, the power of a single atom of uranium or plutonium has proven to be an incredibly destructive force when released, and an atom can't even be seen with the naked eye. Though you and I might debate whether it was a good thing or a bad thing for man to discover that an atom could be split and such a weapon could be created, there is no argument about the great power contained in a single atom. And by Him all things consist. That power that is in every single atom was placed there by our Creator. All things consist by Him. All things are put together by Him. It is His power that keeps them all together. What a privilege. They had in those days in Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and the surrounding area to be able to see and hear Him from whom or by whom all things consist. And what a privilege you and I have today to be able to call upon such an one as a Savior, as a friend, as our Lord. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? All things consist because of Him, because of His power and wisdom, but it wasn't just that. If you go back in our text to Colossians, notice the seventh description given of him. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, it says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, first born from the dead. Notice seventhly, he is the head of his church. Now, as we've spent quite a bit of time on Sunday nights a few weeks ago, and several weeks in our Bible a doctrine class on Tuesday nights, the church in the New Testament refers to an assembly of believers in Jesus. The church is not all believers everywhere from all times. When people use that term that way, it is improperly using that term. All believers will not be the church as the New Testament uses the word, until we all assemble together one day in heaven with Christ. But what a day that'll be. Now when things are the way Christ intends them to be, and its church is an assembly of baptized believers with a pastor leading them to focus on fulfilling the Great Commission and loving one another. Uh, that means there are many churches today. Not just one church, as some might imagine. And the head of each church is not the pastor, it's not the deacons, it's not the most influential members in the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the one in charge. He is the brains behind the operation. He is the one who controls everything. Through Him, every movement of the church is intended to be directed. Now I know He does have some people with skin on Him to whom He's delegated some authority, but understand, He is the head of His churches. The head is not in Rome. The head does not fall on the Pope nor any other big name religious influential leader. Jesus Christ Himself is the head of His churches. And each church is one of His bodies that He nourishes and cherishes as they follow His leadership and do His work. You know, I think a lot of people sitting in churches and even some who lead churches have lost sight of who our head is. You realize the agenda of Bible Baptist Church is not intended to be determined by, by you or me. L listen, when Christ is the head of the church, the church never decides to uh, or ordain a homosexual leader. 
When Christ is the head of the church, uh, the church never decides to have a tailgate party in the parking lot where people get drunk. When Christ is the head of the church, there are a lot of things that go on that wouldn't go on if people would remember who's really the head of the church. What a privilege. For those living in and around Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee, they had in those days to see the one who not only started the church while he was here, but is the head of the church both then and now. And what a privilege you and I have to call upon such a one to trust him as Savior and to have him as a friend. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? He's the head of his church. The head of each body of Christ. Now this series of statements about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth demands a response. It demands a response from churches. It demands a response from individual believers. Paul is not just telling us who Jesus was just to move on. There is a summary statement, an application of all that he's told us about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, great, what is the summary statement? What, what, what is he getting at? Well, look at the end of verse 18. After all those descriptions, it says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. What should our takeaway be from who Jesus is? He should have the preeminence in all things. To be preeminent is to occupy the highest point. To be preeminent is to be in the most important spot. To be preeminent means there is nothing that is equal and nothing above. He is to have the preeminence in all things. You see, when you and I assemble, Christ should have the preeminence. Jesus should be our focus. Our first desire whenever we assemble should not be to see our family. It should not be to be with our friends. It should not be to do our ministry. It should be to honor and glorify and meet and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I want you to be pleased with the effort I make to preach and teach the Bible. You may not think so. I spent a lot of time working on my messages. I don't just sit down and that's not the way it works. I spent a lot of time. I want you to be pleased with the effort I make to preach and teach the Bible. But listen, I'm more than I want you to be pleased, I want Christ to be pleased. I want Him to have the preeminence in my heart, my mind, in your heart and mind as I preach and teach. Uh, every once in a while, we'll have somebody here who is a a special guest speaker who's a, quote, big name. I mean, you may not realize it, but these guys that we have in here to do our revivals, they're known all over the country. Uh, I mean, Scott Pauley, I think we had to schedule him five years in advance. I mean, imagine that. Uh, I'll be teaching my adult Sunday school class, and Brother Gibbs or Brother Pauly or Brother Jones or Brother Roulette, they're sitting in my class, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little, a little intimidated. And i got to kind of smack myself in the face and remember, I'm not preaching for them. Amen. And it doesn't matter whether they like or impress with what I do or don't do. Amen. Christ is the reason I do what I do. Amen. By the way, sometimes some of you all intimidate me. I do. I mean it, you do. Some of y'all, you have nasty mugs, man, when I look out there. And as much as I love you, I'm not doing this for you. 
Christ is to have the preeminence. Listen, I do. I want you to like me. I want you to feel like I'm doing a reasonably good job at leading the Lord's flock here. But, but listen, more, more than any of, of, of that, I want Christ to be pleased with me. I want Him to have the preeminence. He's the one who counted me faithful. He enabled me, counted me faithful, and put me in the ministry. But it's not just that Jesus should be preeminent in His church. He should have preeminence in our personal life and our priorities. You know, it's very easy to sit in church and sing, Jesus is Lord. Much different to apply that truth as the world and our family and our own personal interests want to put things ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be our priority. Our greatest desire should be to please Him. When I was saved in 1984, I worked for 13 more years um, after I trusted Christ as Savior in a secular job. And uh, I did want to please my bosses. I wanted my peers to respect what I did. I, I can't relate to, to those of you, if there are any of you here, who, who just don't care if your boss or your coworkers think you're a slopwad. I, I can't relate to you. I, I, I wanted my boss to feel like, hey, that guy's doing a good job. I wanted to, my, my peers to feel like, hey, he's pulling his weight. Yep. But, but more than that, I'm not talking about in the church. I, I'm talking about in my job. I wanted Jesus to have the preeminence. <clears throat> it may seem foolish to you, but I always set my Bible out on my desk or on the table next to my desk. I didn't open it or read it when I was working. I was there to work. But I wanted everybody to understood, understand where I stood. Amen. I'm going to tell you one, tell you one. Try your first day in the job doing that. Easy to talk about in church. A lot tougher to do. But I really, with all my heart, I wanted Christ to have the preeminence in my life. I, I wanted to be first known as somebody who knew and loved and followed Jesus. I wanted Him to have the preeminence. Do you want that? Do you want that in the church? Do you want that in your job? Do you want that in your home? Listen, we say, we say Christian Christmas is about Christ. I guarantee you when we have church service on Christmas morning, there will be people who try to tell everybody Christ is their priority in Christmas, but they won't be in church. Say, so what would my family say? They would, my, who knows what they would say, but I know this. I'm more concerned that Christ is prominent and preeminent in my life than any other people. We all have different things we struggle with, different things our heart is inclined to focus on. There is a difference among us in what we struggle to focus on, but no difference among us in that we all have something or some things that want to be preeminent in, their, in our life other than Christ. Some may struggle not to make watching or playing sports preeminent. Others may struggle 
to keep from making their appearance, their entertainment, or their reading preeminent. Some may struggle not to make fishing or hunting or being outdoors preeminent. Others may struggle making their home, their yard, their children, or their family preeminent. Some may struggle with doing nothing or sleeping or listening to music because that first and foremost calls for the preeminence in your heart. Again, it, uh, among the people that are here, every one of us have different things that want to be preeminent in our life. And depending on our personality and our hobbies and our disposition, those things are different. But what is not different among us is that all of us have things that are calling to our heart and to our life, saying, let me be preeminent. Don't put Jesus first. Don't put the things of God first. Don't put the Bible first. Don't put your faith first. Put me first. But there's only one, and it's not me, there's only one who deserves to be preeminent in the church, in our workplace, and in our homes, and that is Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And he is before all things. By Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Are you making him preeminent? Is he preeminent to you when you come here and in what you do here? Is he preeminent to you when you prioritize your life, your job, your home, your relationships? Who's preeminent? Listen, anything or anyone other than Jesus Himself on the throne of our life, is usurping His throne. He deserves the preeminence. Amen? Amen. If you bow your heads and close your eyes.